Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Even though I can only see your eyes, it is still good to see you nevertheless. If you have your Bible with you, please take it out and go over into the book of Joshua. Go over to Joshua chapter 7, please. Joshua 7. Our text this morning, our study this morning will come from Joshua, the seventh chapter. You know, by the time we get here to Joshua 7 in the Old Testament, we need to understand that the children of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, they're at a pretty good point in their history. They have just miraculously crossed the Jordan River by the power of God. They have successfully set up a monument to commemorate that glorious event and they've even been able to conquer the well-fortified city of Jericho. Remember how after marching around the city's walls once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day, the Bible says that the walls of Jericho miraculously came tumbling down and the people of God were able to take possession of it. The people of God are actually able to conquer the strong people of Jericho. In fact, that victory they experienced should have been the beginning of a host of other victories for the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. But unfortunately, when we get to this chapter, Joshua 7, we see that that would be far from the case. Joshua chapter 7, look at verse number 2. The Bible says, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. And he said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. Translation, we don't need a whole lot of people to go and, and, and conquer the city of Ai. We don't need to use a lot of resources to conquer Ai. I mean, if we could conquer Jericho, we could certainly conquer Ai with just a couple of thousand people. And so verse 4 says, so about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabiram and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has, has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I want you to take a few moments to, to really ponder on what these verses are saying. Let me ask you a question. How in the world, how in the world did this happen? 
how in the world could this happen? I mean, how in the world could the people of Israel conquer the strong, well-fortified city of Jericho, but then get totally defeated by the people of Ai? How in the world could they easily defeat the strong people of Jericho, but then turn right around and get absolutely beat down and demoralized by a small, significant place like Ai. That's what Joshua wants to know. That's what Joshua is trying to figure out, and God's going to give him an answer to the question. In verse number 10, it says, So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you've fallen on your face? Verse 11, Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the band and have stolen and, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the band from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, there are things under the band in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the band from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come nearby your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come nearby families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come nearby households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. I want you to notice how when it came to trying to figure out why Israel failed to conquer a small, insignificant city like Ai, it wasn't by chance. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because he had a bad military strategy. Instead, according to the Lord himself, it was because of sin. It was because someone in the Israelite camp was practicing sin. Someone in the camp had taken some things from the spoils of Jericho that he did not have a right to have. That is what the Lord revealed to Joshua, and that was an important thing for him to know because God's point with that was he was not going to be with them anymore. He was not going to help them conquer any more of their enemies until this sinner and this sin was properly dealt with. This situation had to be properly dealt with for God's blessings to come back upon them. And so when you keep reading the chapter, you're going to see that Joshua is going to try to get to the bottom of this. With the help of the Lord, God is going to rise up and he's going to go from house to house. And eventually the guilty person will be exposed. And so let's keep reading. Drop down to verse number 18. In verse 18, it says he brought his household near man by man. And Achan. 
Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, Zabdi, son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, how when... The smoke cleared and the dust was settled. The guilty person who was responsible for God's presence leaving the children of Israel was revealed to be a man named Achan. The Bible says that Achan's sin was the problem for Joshua and the children of Israel on this occasion. Achan's sin was the cancer. That was in the Israelite camp. Achan's sin was, was the reason why God refused to help them conquer the small, insignificant city of Ai. Achan's sin was the source of, of Israel's problems on this occasion. In fact, I want to suggest that there are several lessons that I believe that we can learn about sin by studying Achan's sin and the first lesson is this. The first lesson about sin that I think we learn about Achan's sin is number one, from this story, we see very clearly that sin is real. Sin is real. Sin is something that actually exists. And I understand, I certainly understand that to a very intelligent, religious audience like this one, this is an obvious point. I understand that. I understand that probably everybody in this room knows and realizes that sin is something that actually exists. You know that sin is something that is real. But let me tell you something. While this point may be obvious to you, and while this point may be also obvious to me, we need to understand that it is not as obvious to the vast majority of people living in our society today. You see, unfortunately, we're currently living in a society 
where for a lot of people, in fact, maybe the majority of people, they do not agree with this point. They do not believe this point. They do not believe that sin is real. They do not believe that sin actually exists. They do not believe that God has a standard that he's given mankind and, and he expects them to abide by that standard. I mean, think about it. When is the last time you turned on the news and heard someone even say the word sin? When was the last time you turned on your television and heard someone mention sin? When was the last time you heard someone call abortion or, or homosexuality a sin? When was the last time you heard someone call looting and arson and racism and unjustly taking someone's life a, a sin? When is the last time you heard someone called lying a sin? When's the last time you heard someone called having sex with somebody who is not their spouse a sin? I don't know about you, but when I listen to what most people in our culture and our society are saying about these kinds of things, I hear them referring to them as any and everything under the sun but sin. For example, when it comes to lying, I don't hear many people on television or in our society called lying a sin. Instead, I hear them refer to it as, as nothing but little white lies or, or just a bending of the truth. But when it comes to homosexuality, I don't hear people in our society call that a sin. Instead, I hear people call that just an alternate lifestyle. When it comes to abortion, I don't hear many people in our society call that murder and a sin. Instead, I hear people call that a woman exercising her right to choose what she wants to do with her body. That's the kind of stuff I hear. When it comes to these kinds of things, and the lesson I think we can learn from that is when it comes to the majority of people in our society, when it comes to the majority of people in our culture and even in our country, they do not want to acknowledge the reality of sin. They do not want to talk about sin. They do not want to call out sin. They don't want to say anything about sin. That is the mentality that so many people in our society carry with them every single day. But I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, how here in this text, that is not the attitude that God had toward the actions of, of Achan, right? Going back to Joshua chapter 7 and in verse number 11 particularly, Notice how when explaining to Joshua why Israel did not experience victory at Ai, God plainly told him that it was because of sin. It was because of wicked and evil behavior. It was because somebody in that camp had violated his standard and refused to submit to his authority. That's what God clearly said there in that verse. And the main lesson I want us to appreciate from that is contrary to 
to what a lot of people think in our culture, according to the scriptures, according to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in the sacred text, sin is not some figment of my imagination. It is not something that Christians have invented to scare people. No, according to the scripture, according to God, sin is real. Sin is something that actually exists, and it is serious business to God. It is not something that he takes lightly. It is not something that he easily brushes aside or easily sweeps under the rug. Instead, instead of easily sweeping it under the rug or brushing it aside, from this text, we also learn that sin is something that God exposes. God exposes sin. Another way we could say that is when it comes to God, sin is so serious to him that eventually he always brings it to light. Going back to the text, remember when Joshua sent those 3,000 Israelite soldiers out to conquer Ai. When he did that, he was totally unaware about Achan's sin. He, he was totally unaware that there was somebody in the Israelite camp who had taken some things that he did not have a right to have. You see, Achan was able to hide his sin from Joshua, and he was able to hide his sin from the rest of Israel, but one person he could not hide that sin from was God. He couldn't hide that sin from Jehovah. He could not hide that sin from his creator. God, his creator, knew about what he had done. He knew he had taken some things from Jericho that he did not have a right to have. He knew about the garments that he had taken. He knew about the silver and the gold. He even knew about the covetousness that Achan had in his heart. Achan was able to, to hide this sin from Joshua and from the rest of the Israelites. But he could not hide this sin from the all-seeing, watchful eyes of God. This is something that Solomon talks a lot about in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 21, Proverbs 5 and verse 21, there Solomon says this. He says, for the ways of man or before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all, not just some, but he watches all his paths. You put that with what Solomon also says in Proverbs chapter 15, and in verse number 3, there Solomon says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, not just in some places, but Solomon says they are in every place, watching both the evil and the good. And then look over in your New Testament. If you want a New Testament passage that talks about this, we go to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, and in verse number 13, Hebrews 4 and verse 13, the Hebrew writer says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things, not some, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Notice how over and over again in the Holy Scriptures, we learn from the Holy Spirit that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you or I can ever expect to hide from God. There's nothing that we can hide from God. We can't hide our actions from God. 
We can't hide our words from God. We can't even hide our, our thoughts, the things that are in our hearts from God. You see, while there may be certain sins that we can successfully keep hidden from people, while there are certain sins that we may successfully be able to hide from our spouse and our kids and our friends and even our brethren, the Bible says that there are no sins that we can successfully hide from the Lord. We cannot hide that porn habit that we may have from the Lord. We cannot hide drinking on the weekends with our friends from the Lord. We cannot hide occasionally having sex with our boyfriend or with our girlfriend. Or cheating on our taxes or cheating on our spouse or being lazy on our job and just riding the clock. We can't hide any of that stuff from the Lord. We can't even successfully hide any hateful thoughts and, and envious and bitter and immoral emotions we have towards other people from the Lord. You see, while as Americans we may value the need to have privacy in our lives, according to the Bible, there's no part of our lives that is truly private when it comes to God. The Bible says that every part of our lives is wide open and is laid bare before the eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, this was something that Achan had to learn the hard way, right? Again, while Achan was able to successfully hide his sin from Joshua and from the rest of Israel, he could not hide it from God. God knew exactly about what he had done. And eventually, as we saw, God exposed it, right? Eventually, God brought his sin from the darkness to the light. This is something that I think we really need to emphasize this morning because so often, let's just be honest about it, so often as human beings, even as Christians, we like to fool ourselves, don't we? We like to deceive ourselves. We like to think that if we get involved in some secret sin or some secret act of wickedness, nobody's ever going to find out about it. Nobody's ever going to know about the stuff we're doing behind the scenes. Nobody's ever going to become aware of, of the evil that we're doing. I mean, if we're just careful. If we just cover our tracks just right, if we just make sure we delete all of our computer history, and, and if we just make sure we keep our actions hidden in the dark, nobody's ever going to know. Nobody's ever going to find out about what we're doing. Everything's going to be okay. So often as human beings, even as Christians, we like to deceive and fool ourselves with that kind of thinking, but from the story of Achan, we learn the truth. From the story of Achan, we learn that if we are harboring some secret sins that we refuse to give up and repent of, in due time, God will expose those sins. In due time, God will reveal those sins and he may reveal them some kind of way in this life, but even if he doesn't, even if we're able to 
to go throughout our lives, hiding our sin, and we're able to die, getting away with no one in this life, knowing about what we have done, God will make sure, he guarantees that he will expose the sin on the judgment day. He will expose it when we stand before him and have to give an account for how we've lived our lives. I mean, isn't that exactly how Solomon concludes the book of Ecclesiastes? Remember, after telling us that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, Solomon says we need to do that because God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is even hidden, whether it is good or evil. Notice how the book of Ecclesiastes concludes by telling us, that God has a way of making sure that no sin we commit is truly kept hidden forever. From Achan's story, we see that sin is real. And we see that sin is so serious that God eventually exposes it and brings it to light. And then the third lesson we learn about sin from Achan's story is we also see that sin is serious because it impacts other people. And impacts other people. In fact, in the case of Achan's sin, remember his sin actually, it actually had a ripple effect on the entire nation of people. It actually had a ripple effect on the entire nation of Israel. Remember, 36 innocent Israelite soldiers died because of Achan's sin. An entire family was burned and stoned because of Achan's sin. Hundreds of thousands of people were demoralized emotionally because of Achan's sin. Achan's sin impacted so many people beyond just himself. And I got to tell you that that's a very sobering thing to think about. That's a very humbling and powerful thing to think about because let's just be honest about it this morning, brothers and sisters. So often when we sin, even when we sin as Christians or disciples, so often who do, who do we only think of? Well, again, if we're just going to be honest about it this morning, so often when we commit sin, even as Christians, so often we only think about ourselves, right? So often we only think about what our sin does to us and what it does to our personal relationship with God. I mean, rarely do we ever stop and consider how our sins impact so many other people beyond just ourselves. For example, listen to what James says. James chapter 5. In James chapter 5 and in verse number 16, remember James said this. He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man, not a wicked man, not an evil man, not a sinful man. No, James says that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Notice how James says that if we want God to both hear and respond to our prayers, then that requires that we live a certain way. 
that requires that we live right, that requires that we live righteously. James says that our prayers, even our prayers for other people, other Christians, they can be impacted and hindered in a very bad way when we don't live according to the standard of God. James says our prayers for one another can be impacted by us living lives of sin. In fact, not only can our prayers be impacted by sin, but our sins can also impact other disciples, people in the local church to, to want to sin. It can influence them to want to sin. I mean, isn't that the point Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Remember how when speaking to these brethren about a brother they had in that church who was in some sexual immorality, remember there was a brother in that church who was involved in sexual immorality with probably his stepmother, his father's, his father's wife. Paul said to the brethren there, in regards to that particular situation, he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Someone says, what does that mean? What does that mean? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Where Paul is saying there is if these brethren did not get up and start taking sin seriously, if they did not begin the process of church discipline and start correcting this brother's behavior in love, eventually the whole church was going to become contaminated. Eventually this brother's immorality was going to start rubbing off of other Christians and it was going to influence them to sin. It was going to influence other Christians to not take sin seriously as well. Paul says that our sins can impact our brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. And not only can our sins impact our brothers and sisters, but Jesus even says that our sins can impact the world in a negative way. Particularly, it can impact our influence with the world in a negative way. I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, 16? Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus says that your light shine before men. Men, there is a reference to the people in the world, people who are not disciples. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who's in heaven. Notice how Jesus says that how we live our lives every single day, that impacts our influence. That impacts our influence with the world. That impacts how the world views us and, and, and the things we claim to stand for. You see, if we don't live this doctrine, if we don't live this doctrine we're trying to promote, then when the world looks at us and when they examine our claim to be Christians, you know what they're going to do? All they're going to do is, is mock us. All they're going to do is, is mock our faith and they're going to mock the gospel and they're going to mock Jesus Christ. They're not going to respect us. They're not going to respect the gospel. They're not going to respect Jesus Christ. You see, if, if we don't live according to the doctrine we're trying to promote, instead of causing the world to respect us and respect our faith and respect the gospel in Jesus Christ, what they're going to do is they're going to mock all those things and they're going to say things like, what's the point of being like you? 
What's the point of being a Christian? What's the point of being a disciple? You have the same kind of morality as me. You live by the same code and standard that I do. You see, like in the case of Achan, we have to understand what I'm just trying to show you is our sins have the unfortunate potential to impact to impact far beyond the person we look at in the mirror. It has the potential, our sins have the potential to impact the world and how the world views us and our claims to be Christians. They have the potential to impact our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family, even our prayers. That's how serious sin is according to the scripture. We learned that from Achan. In fact, that brings us to our final point this morning, and that is from Achan's sin, we also learn. The sin has consequences. It always has consequences. Remember, after it was discovered that Achan had taken some things from Jericho that he didn't have a right to have, he was punished, right? He was punished severely. In fact, not only was he punished severely, but the Bible says his whole family was punished severely. His sons and his daughters were punished severely. And someone says, why were they punished severely? Well, I believe, brothers and sisters, that the reason why they were punished severely was because they were probably co-conspirators with him. They were probably accomplices with him in trying to cover up this sin. That is why they were also stoned and burned with fire. God used the whole family as an example to demonstrate just how serious sin is. He used them as an example that sin has consequences. The question is, do we understand that this morning? Do we see that? I mean, from this episode with Achan, do we see that when it comes to sin, sin is so serious to God that it is something that he not only exposes, but he also punishes. He also brings about serious consequences. I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Romans 6 and verse 23. You remember what Paul said there? There Paul says, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. Notice how the ultimate consequence for sin. The ultimate wage, the ultimate punishment is death. When Paul mentions death there in that verse, we got to understand that he's actually talking about a death that is far worse than the physical death that Achan and his family experienced here in this chapter. When Paul mentions death in Romans 6 and verse 23, he's not just limiting that to physical death. Instead, more importantly, he's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about a severed relationship with God. He's talking about deserving to spend an eternity in hell. According to Paul, spiritual death. That is the ultimate consequence for sin. And that's why it is so important that we always deal properly with our sins. That is why it is so important that when we live a life of sin, we don't continue in that. 
We don't try to hide it. We don't try to stay on that destructive path. Instead, we need to do what Achan should have done before God intervened, and that is we need to confess it. We need to repent of it. We need to humble ourselves before God and beg him to please forgive us. You see, only when we do those things can we avoid the dreadful consequences of sin. And so my final question this morning is this. As you sit there in the pew and examine your own life, where are you this morning? What are you in your walk with Jesus Christ? I mean, right now, are, are you like Achan? Are you harboring a secret sin? As God looks from heaven at you, does he observe something in your life that isn't right and is actually hindering your relationship with him? If so, then guess what? You have an opportunity on this day because of the blood of Jesus Christ to make things right with God. Whether that is responding to the gospel for the first time through faith and repentance and baptism and water for the forgiveness of sin so you can become a Christian. Or whether that means you are a Christian and you have some secret sin that you're trying to, to, to keep hidden. If you need to confess that and repent of it, we will embrace you, love you, and be very happy to pray with you and pray for you so you can leave, leave here cleansed. But whatever spiritual needs you may have, let us help you with that. Let us help you get right with the Lord on this day and at this time as we stand and we sing together.